welcome to Normalizing the Chaos. Welcome to Normalizing Chaos. I am your host, Dr. Samara Servin. And I am your co-host, Dr. Sari Anderson. So today we kind of wanted to shift gears just a little bit and focus more so on men and specifically the mental health of men and the conditioning of men that their mental health doesn't matter because when in actuality, it actually does matter. Yeah, and when we're talking about mental health too, really making a point to discuss emotional intelligence and within that category, emotional regulation, self-regulation, emotional literacy, and how do we raise boys to be emotionally intelligent men? And just to reiterate the actual definition of emotional intelligence, because we did talk about it previously, but you know, to refresh everyone's memory, it's just the capacity to be aware of and control and express one's emotions and to handle interpersonal relationships empathetically. So with empathy and with fairness too. And I think so often that people think that emotional intelligence means that you suppress your emotions when in fact, it's having this deep understanding of what your emotions mean, how they surface and manifest, and then how do you regulate how do you help them or help them how do you cope with them and so men and women were both biologically wired differently because we have different purposes if you look at evolution different purposes we serve different roles and men are historically not wired to be as emotional as women and part of that reason is women we are biologically wired to care for children and keep people alive where men are wired more for the like hunting the gathering the that kind of stuff so when it comes to our expectations of men women i'm talking to you or maybe those of you who are in same-sex relationships if you maybe have more of the uh, the more of like the female role in the relationship and you feel like your partner's more masculine um, and you feel like you're the more emotional one and your partner's the one who has, you know, less emotion or you wish they were more empathetic than you. I think that you also have to have this understanding of what, what expectations are realistic for your partner when it comes to empathy and understanding emotions. Yeah. And I think it's important too that even though there's genetic wiring, the society has heavily reinforced the stereotypes of the women is the women are more soft and the men are more hunters and gatherers. And like it's consistently reinforced through TV shows and movies and media and parenting and generational messages. And it, it leaves for like, there's no room for like, so, for example, how Sarah had just mentioned, or if you're in a same-sex relationship and you feel like you're, you maybe have more f- 
feminine quote unquote qualities versus masculine. Well, what does that mean exactly? Is it because you are more emotionally invested? Right. And so like, even in the, the way we, the terms that we use to describe things, it's very black and white, bipolar, binary, like masculine, feminine energy. Like, so why can't the masculine energy be a little bit empathetic as well? Right. And that's just not how we're conditioned to think. And so with that in mind, like that's the, today we just kind of want to explore that. How do we, how do we keep those in mind? And then how do we address them? How do we shift the focus to where the fact that like the, the male, males matter more than just being the brunt and the grunt <laughs> to right. be like really explicit. Right. Well, when we, when we look at common male stereotypes, we've got the joker, the jock, the strong, silent type, the big shot, the action hero, and the buffoon. So Dr. Servant's going to discuss each of those areas a little bit more. Um, and, and when you're listening, like, I really think that you need to think about, like, how have these stereotypes potentially, like, affected you or your partner? Yeah, I think we'll start with the, the two ones that I think we kind of hear the most. So like the big shot and the strong silent type mm -hmm. and the big shot tends to be, you know, Mr. Professional, Mr. He is the dripping in success and he has all the characteristics and possessions that society believes um, is valuable or has deemed you as successful. And what I mean by that is he has the nice car and the nice house and a 401k and, the pretty women <laughs> and um and he's a ceo or he's his own boss or he's an entrepreneur and this individual doesn't necessarily have to be attractive either so right. for women success is associated with attractiveness for men however it is not um and i will say no names but we know some big corporate people that i don't personally believe are very easy on the eyes <laughs> that are very <laughs> successful <laughs> um and, and with that, too, um, you know, I think that men put a lot of stock into their financial success. And when they're not experiencing success in that way, it can threaten, quote unquote, their, you know, their, their security sense of self, their way of um, their maybe it's an ego shot, ego shot. Thank you. Yeah, their sense of masculinity, all mm -hmm. sorts of stuff. And, you know, you hear a lot of, of, well, I have in my profession, I don't know if you have, but I hear a lot of, you know, well, I'm not ready to propose because I don't, I'm not financially ready to propose. All the time. And it's, mind you though, the significant other may not, like financially ready may not be something that their partner's thinking about, but the person who feels it's their role to initiate that proposal and that big next step in the relationship is I'm not going to do it until I make X amount or until I have X amount saved. And a lot of the times that's, it's kind of getting in your own way almost. Right. Well, and, and I know we were talking earlier, Sam, too, about what it's like to be a millennial and how, you know, a really good word to describe our generation, Sam and I are at the very tail end or beginning of the millennials we're like right on the edge um we're, the, we're like actually smack in the middle are we smack, smack in the middle yeah. oh, you were smack in the middle wow <laughs> shows how much i know about our generation but insecurity is a really good 
good word to describe our generation, insecure financially, insecure educationally, insecure emotionally, insecure when it comes to confidence and our sense of self. And partially it's because, you know, to purchase a home and make a living now, it costs a lot of money. When our parents were getting started raising families, it it didn't take that as much um, financial resources to do that. And I also think that, you know, when it comes to men who are in our generation, they also weren't necessarily raised to understand their emotions really well. So they're dealing with that on the end of maybe partners nagging them saying, or not nagging them, but communicating, hey, I don't feel like you're showing enough empathy. But then at the same time, you know, they're trying to have this sense of masculinity because the generation above that very much still embraces that typical quote unquote masculinity. But then the generation below or the, the tail end of the millennials, like the younger part of the generation has embraced understanding emotions more. So then there's quote unquote toxic masculinity. And I think it makes men in this generation feel very insecure and they have a hard time figuring out where the heck do I fit in? Well, and I want to point out as a side note that your initial term of nagging is the stereotype that we receive. Yeah, exactly. We're expressing our feelings we are nagging no matter the manner in which we are expressing it it's a nag um so it's just interesting that as you're speaking and then our training and our reconditioning is like no it's not nagging it's communicating um which leads to the strong silent type who are told that basically like talking about their feelings is a sign of weakness and that you know boys and men should always be in control contain your emotions be very decisive. Um, and so I have had, you know, a couple of friends who said their father never said, I love you and never gave them hugs and was very much just like, I went to work, came home, provided money. What is your issue? Like, I don't have an issue. Shame them for having emotion if they showed it. Right. Yeah. Um, and I would say, you know, the, the ones like the two, the next two big ones, I would say there's like the jock, the stereotypical Mr. Competitive and really good shape and mm-hmm. has to be aggressive and always showing off his strength and his dominance. A lot of this is is very, very apparent in high school yes. <laughs> um, and early college. Um, and it's it's beyond the, well, I'm an athlete. It's It's beyond that. It's just persona that is carried out through every single aspect of life educationally, interpersonally, and in the workplace, on the basketball court or on the football field. It's it's out it's more than just being an athlete. It's this this I don't have to go to the doctor because I'm physically fit and that means I'm healthy. Well newsflash, you can still have cancer and be physically fit. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, it's not it's not a sign of weakness if you go to the doctor. And we have to start normalizing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would say the other big one too is the joker. So the person that's consistently always telling jokes, like we all love a good jokester, quote unquote, but at what point are you serious? At what point do you show your emotion and not necessarily make a joke out of it? Mm-hmm. So a lot of people use hu- humor to cope, myself included, but that's very different from using humor to cope versus 
every single time you have a feeling it's a joke. Yeah. And the other two, I guess I haven't heard of as much. So like the action hero, that one I'm not as familiar with. Or yeah, the like the person that's like, like overly aggressive or overly yeah. angry or like, so what it makes me think of like, this is, and this is not to say that this is who he is, but I think of The Rock. Okay, he's sure. So, he's so big. He's so strong. He's so, right. But it's like The Rock without the emotion feeling part of The Rock. Like, he's just yeah. like. Yeah, because Dwayne Johnson is such a, he seems like so soft and gooey on the inside. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, and the buffoon makes me think like. Which is what they say are like, um, like the like kind of like the stereotype of like how men just go to work and then like they're clueless with like anything else, like parenting and all that. It makes me think about the men from like the old TV shows, like the Honeymooners, and and uh, like I Love Lucy, like even yeah. though they didn't have kids, but like, yeah, like. Uh, he just came and did his work, but like there was no clue about like the cooking and the or what's the other one? Um, leave it to Beaver. Yeah, like how the dad just came home and then it was just like, oh, like they're in trouble for what? Like, and it's just like this: like the man is stupid and he's only worth mm -hmm. the money and the the financial part. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and like those stereotypes are so important to be aware of because we really need to break those stereotypes so that men and women and both partners in a household have more equal responsibility. And that is important for both parties' mental health because, you know, when we're looking at different um, mental health conditions, especially when it comes to depression and anxiety, research has shown that a lot of the times it can stem from division of responsibilities in the household. Um, other things to consider are, you know, boys who show emotion are often stigmatized. So even I've caught myself, so like with P, my daughter, she is extremely energetic. She's really adventurous. She, she doesn't, and like when I describe her, I often go, she is the energy of a boy. She hangs more with her friends who are boys at daycare. And granted, she's got a lot more females in her classroom, so um, she it's not like she just hangs with, with the guy, with the guys, with the boys more, but it, and it, it's hard. Cause like, that's, I mean, that's how we were conditioned to think of affect and energy level. And, um, but at the same time, you know, that shouldn't, shouldn't play into how we help our children engage in understanding their emotions and that happens at a very 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 young age or even just how the term like tomboy to describe our girls who are more rough and tumble but how we accept that like we accept the girls that have more of those quote-unquote male qualities whereas if there's boys who have more of the quote-unquote feminine qualities and I say quote-unquote because this is what society has told us not what we believe but more of the feminine qualities of like your, you know, your eight-year-old wants to bake in the kitchen with you. And it's like, oh no, oh no, he might, he might be, he might be gay, which is another like completely ridiculous train of thought that it, it's, it's, it's actually, it makes me angry. So I'm not going to go there. Um, 
I'm not going to go there, but um, (laughs) it's also very, like, it's also a very just arrogant, ignorant way of thinking as well. And, and honestly, who cares if that's what, if your child decides that they love the same sex than the opposite sex, like what? Totally. Absolutely. (laughs) You know, and it's just like, I mean, I really think what matters the most is that we raise our children to be kind, to be accepting, um, to be respectful of other people. And regardless of what they like, and as a parent, it's really important to foster whatever it is that your child loves, because that also helps them develop this sense of confidence in who they are. And when we tell our kids, no, you can't like that because that's what girls like, or that's what boys like, or why don't you go play with the Barbies instead of the Tonka trucks? It makes them feel very insecure in who they are and what it is that they like. And they're like, there's something wrong with them. And I think we really need Uh, as a society, and I think we're doing a much better job now, but really having that mindset shift of just helping our children thrive despite whatever it is they're interested in. Uh, I agree. I mean, or even just in terms of, so like successful people are made, like you're, this is overall for men and women, most successful people are considered attractive or if you want to be successful, then you need to make sure you look attractive, right? But then if you're a man and you're spending too much time on that, well, that's... your metro, quote unquote metro, metro. or yeah. Or you spend a lot of time manscaping or just, and it's like, so what if he wants to smell good or not have black toenails or not have a unibrow? Like, why is that? (laughs) Like, why is it wrong? Right. interesting and the reason that Sam and I feel really passionate about this topic number one we're both in the mental health field but number two we relate a lot of this information when we reflect on our relationships and my husband and I were talking about self-care self-love the other day and I could I have a book on self-love self-care things I do and I asked him what he does and he was like I I have no idea and I'm like but like if you had time what would you do? And pretty much the only thing is I would go to the gym more because he really likes to just move his body. And, but I mean, I, I'd go to the spa, i get my eyebrows done. I would go get makeup done, hair done. I don't know, all sorts of stuff that I would want to do that's relaxing. And he's never been taught or even taught to think about what is it that you engage in that makes you feel good about yourself? That's, and that's ridiculous. Like, I can't believe at 33 years old, almost 33 years old, that he's never really been asked that question. Well, and it's, I mean, if you, I think I'm trying to gather my thoughts at the same time and respond, but because it makes sense in my head and if I'm not out loud, but not only is that ridiculous, but also the fact that when you think about it, it wasn't really till recently where even women were conditioned to like engage in self-care and it's okay, or what that definition of self-care was either. So like you can be a working mom and love your kid and want to break from them. Like you're not a bad mom because you want to break from your child. Like that's not a thing. Like that's not a thing. And I think women have been given a little bit more leeway into that. And I agree, like most men, if you ask, like, what's your self-care? And they're like, what? Like, what is, 
And it tends to be a physical thing. Again, that's biologically, like it tends to be more of a physical outlet, which is fine. But it's even the fact that if you ask, there's this hesitation, whereas women can be like, oh, I'd go get my toes done or get a massage or, and you know, this is not to say that all men are like this either. We're just saying in general, like the conditioning. Well, and I also think vanity is less accepted for men than it is for women. Like to want to look good as a female is widely accepted and it's actually appreciated by the other sex or whoever, you know, whatever is, um, gender your partner is. However, a man wants to spend time to get a spray tan or get his eyebrows done or whatever it may be. And again, quote unquote, considered metro or, you know, what other label you want to put on it versus honoring the fact that that's something that makes them feel good. And I think we need to do a much better job of honoring that to make them feel more comfortable thinking about their emotions, wanting to feel good about themselves. And, you know, like I had said earlier, jumping back to the point of, you know, Sam and I talk about this topic a lot because it directly impacts our relationship with our partners. But this expectation of, you know, I, I sometimes wish my partner, my husband had a little bit more empathy towards me. But also he was raised to not really understand nor feel valid in the emotions he has. So it's completely re- like ridiculous for me to expect him to have an equal level of empathy for me as I would for him. And that's why if you are a parent of a boy, you really need to be focused on fostering that emotional intelligence So that when they get older, they are going to be men. They're going to be people who can better understand emotion for themselves, for their partner. It's going to make them a much better adult, a much better father, a much better partner, a much better, you know, husband. Friend. Friend. Yes. Even, even just like if, if, um... This goes into, this kind of segues into my next point, but if if women on who are listening currently or men who are currently listening, think about your relationships with the opposite sex that were not sexual, just friendships. Um, and you think about women, how many times has a male friend possibly attempted to cross the boundary line, whether that was flirt, whether that was in, you know, imply or insinuate maybe you guys could hang out and be more than friends. And guys, when have you felt like you've pushed the boundary line? And why? Well, why couldn't it just be a friendship? What is it about? And not saying this is true for everyone, but there is this, this societal underlying generational belief that men need to be hypersexual mm. and that you know, a real man has many sexual partners as possible, never says no to sex and, or, or even to go as far as, and this is pedophilia for anyone who wants to argue with me, we're not arguing, but it's not okay when an adult male, female teacher has sex with a male student. And we don't hear about that as much because for boys, it's like, oh yeah, that older lady wanted me and I got her. Right. And it's acceptable but when it's the rules are reversed, it's rape and it's unacceptable. Newsflash, it's unacceptable, period. It is still rape. <laughs> um, and so I think that's another important topic too of like, 
you can say no. Like every situation you encounter, every situation, it doesn't have to be a yes. It doesn't have to be a, a conquest or a conquer or another notch on the belt or whatever other stereotypical like phrases used. And not saying every single individual thinks like this, but there is this just this underlying like women are quick to be called hoes or whores if they engage in a lot of sex and they prefer sex. I should have prefaced that with please cover your kids' ears, but it's too late. <laughs> um, <laughs> um but men aren't there's not a there's no real like like people will joke around and say, oh, he's a man, whore, you know, but there's no real, like the negative stigma behind that is not as intense as a, as a girl or a woman. It's more like, oh, well, boys will be boys. Men will be men. What does that mean? Like that doesn't mean it's okay. <laughs> or on the flip side, as you get older and you lose testosterone and you're less interested in sex, as a man, I know this from men I've talked to, you stop feeling masculine and it, you feel like something's wrong with you and you're not as sexually, and it's not that you're not sexually attracted to your partner anymore. You're just less interested in sex. And then that can also create problems in the relationship because if you once were a very sexual person and all of a sudden that's gone away, your partner might be thinking, Hmm, what's going on? And then maybe you don't know how to talk about it and you become uncomfortable with your emotions because you're having deep, heavy emotions about it. And then it creates all this tension and so many problems in your relationship because there's a lack of communication. And the, the found like the issue at the core is the fact that you struggle with understanding your emotions and how to communicate them, which falls under that label of emotional intelligence. And that's why it's just so important, not even just when you're raising a boy, but if you are a man a young adult or adult man, and you feel like you struggle with understanding your emotions, there's a lot that you can do to work on it. And women, or those of you who are partners to those men, help them out, you know, have grace with them, engage in conversations with them, be supportive of them, try not to be overly critical, because they are trying to put the work in. And it's really hard, it gets harder to rewire your brain the older you get. Neuroplasticity is over the lifetime, but it's not as easy to wire your brain as you get older. Exactly. And making it a safe space and whatever that looks like or a secure place, because sometimes the word safe is a trigger for some people, but a secure place, a safe space, a, a talking table, a round table, whatever language either you already use in your relationship or maybe new language needs to be introduced into the relationship but if a man does come with a gripe or he does, I shouldn't use the word gripe, but if he does come to express himself or even if it's, even if it's overly aggressive at first, <laughs> having the, the patience to sit back and being able to say, okay, clearly you're angry. I'm not even sure what you're angry about. I would like to sit with you and like, can you help me explain or talk to me about it? And the other reason for that is, people as a whole, it's way easier to express anger before it is to express that you've been hurt. But for men specifically, men expressing aggression and anger and animosity is acceptable and, and almost like 
expected. You don't expect the man to come and sit to you with tears in his eyes and say how he's feeling. You expect him to scream and yell and, and be aggressive and be violent. And there's, that's, that's their initial go-to tactic. And so to kind of start breaking that cycle of changing your language, having that conversation and being patient, and it's not going to be easy. And you're not going to, sometimes you're, you're, you're going to sit there and start screaming and yelling back, or you're not going to want to hold the space because you're like, or you feel like whatever the situation is that they're trying to communicate is stupid and frivolous compared to whatever else it is that you have going on. But in order to like open the door and to make, to make, to expand emotional intelligence among our men and our boys, we have to be able to hold that. Mm -hmm, Until there's growth on both ends, I feel like. And I think also knowing your partner enough that you don't push them to share more than they're comfortable with and recognize, like Sam said, it's this really slow progression. So you may have this moment where you, so if, if you're the partner in the relationship and you're the man or the partner is showing um, emotion, but then they become really uncomfortable with it and you're feeling some sort of way about it and you want to pull more because I'm typically that person in, in my relationship with my husband. I'm wanting to pull more. I'm like, okay, let's talk about this now. And he's like, I just need some space. You need to be secure enough in yourself that he can have that space. And when he's ready to come back and talk about it, but it's not our job to pull and pull and pull until we make them crack. Cause then there's no growth happening from that. Then you're just trying to glue the pieces back together. Agreed. And yeah, I guess there's a, that's a good segue to us normalizing all of these things with our boys and our men and having resources available in the community for them, which I believe that our country struggles with a lot. Um, in Australia, which is, I think, amazing, they have an entire like online and telephone counseling service strictly for men. And if you go to their website, they have drop-down boxes for dads, like parenting for the infancy stage, parenting for the childhood. It's like <laughs> so amazing. <laughs> phenomenal. But they had put out a um, like a survey talking about stereotypes and how people indulge in stereotypes and how like the consequences of those and the consequences of engaging in these daily like you need to be stoic and, and keep to yourself and and the the negative physical mental health and social outcomes of these stereotypes and 64% of respondents had suicidal thoughts in the last two weeks that is substantial and 55% of respondents were involved in a traffic accident in the last year, which you're probably like, how is that even related? Or what does that even mean? Well, if you're not having an appropriate outlet to express your feelings or, or what's going on or your struggles, then your brain is, is offline. Okay, so trauma brain, it's offline. And if it's offline and you're driving heavy operating machinery, the likelihood that you are going to get in a car accident is going to increase because you're not 100% there. You're operating from your offline, primitive, emotional part of your brain. And that logical, currently working on all cylinders is shut off. 
And I just want to make like a quick plug for occupational therapy and how this relates to this topic so well. So as OTs, we specialize in helping people engage in the things that they need to and want to do, regardless of adversity, disability, whatever it may be. So if you're struggling with the ability to emotionally regulate and your brain is offline and you're functioning more at that, you know, limbic system, emotional brain level or brainstem level, and you're essentially impaired and you're not functioning at the best of your ability, whether it's affecting your work life or your relationships, your ability to socially participate, maybe you're not able to fully perform, you know, at school, that's where an OT who specializes in this area can work with you to help you increase your performance in those areas. And we do our job best when we work closely with psychologists. I just want to say that, but but that that's why we care about this though, because it affects your life. It affects your productivity. It affects however you measure success. It affects all of that. And if we could all be more emotionally intelligent because emotional intelligence and impulse control are the two greatest predictors for later success in life, um, even greater than IQ scores, think how much better of a world we'd live in. I mean, we have way more innovation. We'd be way more progressive if we could all just be more emotionally intelligent. I mean, that goes, that, that segues into, to put a real life example, um, you're at work and someone has an issue with management or everyone has an issue with management and everyone's kind of sitting there trying to figure out like, how do we bring this up without getting fired or without getting demoted or without being passed over for this? And this one person goes, well, I'm bringing it up. And everyone's like, well, how are you going to bring that up? Like, that's like your job's on the line and blah, 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 blah. And then this person brings it up to management, a supervisor, a director, a CEO. And not only does that person not get fired, but whatever outcomes and changes need to happen, happen. And everyone's kind of like, how the... It's about the emotional intelligence. It's about being able, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. Exactly. And that's why I don't, I'm a hundred thousand million percent guilty of this. And I'm sure others are. When I go to respond to an email that I am seething, I typically don't send it right away because I need to retype it about four or five times <laughs> before it says what I want it to say without being rude or condescending or blatantly saying blank you. Like, <laughs> but you are able to do that though, because you have the ability to reflect on what it is that you're feeling. And I just want to put this out there that emotions are, is this construct that we've developed in society to yes. describe visceral feelings that we feel inside our body, right? So we know the difference between what sadness feels like and what anger feels like. And we teach that to our kids. And then on top of not just teaching the construct of emotion and labeling them, we teach them coping strategies and how to regulate and how to get their needs met when they're feeling different emotions. So um, it's really about paying attention to, to your internal feelings to be able to really understand all right, my face is really hot. I'm feeling something in my throat and chest and my stomach. And I'm wanting to write this back to this person that says, you know, screw off, screw off. But you're like, okay, maybe I'm feeling some sort of way about this. And I really need to be more regulated before I send this email. That it, that process requires a certain level of emotional intelligence. And, and it does because that, so I'm trying to use a me example. So it's easier 
because you had a very valid point about how we fill it in our body first before we have the cognitive label to it. Yeah. And so like when I'm anxious and excited, my stomach hurts either way. Yes, me too, but mine's different. Right. But I think it takes it takes a certain level of emotional intelligence to decipher that difference in that feeling and work through it. And it's, am I anxious or am I excited? Like yeah. I, <laughs> My anxious is more of this raw nine feeling where excitement's like this. I get it a little bit higher than anxiety. And it's like almost like this. I get like this little pop, like this little pop. It like it's it's hard to explain, but I they're they're very, very, very similar, but they have this very distinct difference. Yeah. Or if you're angry or hurt. So obviously if someone offends us, we're going to be hurt, but it manifests as anger. And a lot of the times it's okay, talk yourself down to the lowest level of it. Is it that you're angry or is you, are you angry because you just want that person to feel the wrath and the pain that they gave you? Or is it that you're actually hurt or disappointed? And then how can you work through those feelings? Because that's the underlying. It's not so much the anger because then all that's focused on is the anger. And I feel like that's a good segue into the buzzword that I think people throw all the time that I don't think they 100% understand what it means, but hypermasculinity is this buzzword that's thrown about, especially within the last couple of years, I would say. But it, what it, the simplified version is, and it's an exaggeration of stereotyped behavior that's believed to be masculine. So if it's believed that anger is an appropriate expression for men, and a masculine quality, well, I'm going to be overly aggressive and overly angry to prove my point. And we don't, you don't need to do that. <laughs> like, and emotional intelligence and emotional regulation helps you understand, like, you don't need to be that angry, aggressive to get your point across. That's not healthy communication. It, it shuts the other person down from hearing the message. All they see is the red. And if all someone's looking at is the red, your message is lost. And then you never feel heard. And it's like this vicious cycle that continues. And if if you've come to the point where you're trying to, you know, backtrack and recondition how you engage, you have to also understand that whomever you've been engaging with, a spouse, a friend, a child, in this hyper-masculine manner it's going to take time for them not to look at it as oh here you go again just being overly aggressive and angry and mm -hmm. even if you think in your mind you're not if that person's now also conditioned to receive that level of emotion from you yeah and i i mean so hyper masculinity quote toxic masculinity unquote um, reminds me of that. Do you remember that Glade or that that commercial? It was a Super Bowl commercial where it's basically showing a lot of like hyper masculine behavior. And then they were like, yeah. boys, boys will be boys. What does that mean? So I want to talk about that message first for a second, because I think men in different generations had different feelings and reactions towards that commercial. So for those of you who were raised to not feel a lot of emotion, to just get things done, to get the work done, to push through. When you watch that commercial from people that I've spoken with, it hurt because it made you feel like something was wrong with you. And all of a sudden now you need to change and you should be shamed for the way that you were raised. And then on the other end of the spectrum, 
boys who are probably more along the the tail end of the millennial generation and or in the beginning of the Gen Z population, you thought, well, heck yeah, like you should be in touch with your emotions. You don't need to be aggressive to get your point across. And I think the important thing to remember is throughout your time here on earth, life is about change and growth. And how do you as a person more move towards that point of self-actualization, right? So many of us never reach that point, but that's the pivotal point where you, you've got it, the meaning of life, all sorts of stuff. But through that period of growth, it's about learning how can I improve to be a better person, to be a better partner, to be a better, you know, son, daughter, whatever it may be. And I know that that commercial was a hard message for some people to see, but also times are changing and it is really important to be in touch with your emotion. And it doesn't mean it's going to happen in a day or a week or a year, but it's hopefully this active process that you choose to engage in so that you can improve. And you will be amazed if you start making changes to become a more emotionally intelligent person, you will be blown away by the opportunities that present themselves. People love being around emotionally intelligent people. They make them feel good. They know how to make them feel good. They know exactly what to say and how to say it and when to say it. Um, so there's, there are a lot of benefits to working on emotional intelligence. Yeah. I think a good takeaway from that too is men in the role of fathers. And I think the stereotype is very much changing, even if it's a little bit slow, but just the fact that men are not responsible for caretaking. And that's just absolutely a hundred percent not true. And there are a lot of dads who are taking more of the active frontline role of, of staying at home or spending more time with playing and teaching and learning. And it's amazing. And it's amazing the, the shift in those children and, and how their brain is functioning and what they're thinking and feeling and doing. And, you know, making just a big of a deal about Father's Day as we do about Mother's Day. Yes. And I, I don't think we're there yet because I haven't seen that shift, but I'm hopeful that it will continue. Um, and acknowledging like there are single fathers out there. There's not single mothers. There's also single dads. And how do we support them? Where is their outlet? And where's the the running joke? I try not to do this, but actually I don't think I have done this, but the running joke of men are like, well, I'm tired of getting ties and socks and um, yeah. undershirts, right? And underwear for holidays and Father's Day. And it goes, and I've always thought like, where does that come from? Like where, like, I don't ever, I do remember getting my father ties, which is crazy, but it was my own, like as a kid, like I want to get him a tie. Like it had nothing to do with my mother. Um, but now I don't, I don't buy those. I try to buy like fairly decent gifts. I feel like for Rob, he may feel differently, but <laughs> Um, <laughs> but where, where does that come from? Where does it come from that, you know, women get jewelry for mother's day and flowers and breakfast in bed and men get socks? Like, where has that come from? Yeah. And how is it still being reinforced and maintained? Is it the advertising? Is it because men don't necessarily always express what it is that they want? 
Is it because when men do want something, they just buy it themselves? Like I've never heard of a man ask for like a 85 inch TV. He just went and bought it. <laughs> Trying to figure out my husband what to get or what to get my husband for gifts is the hardest thing in the world. He never knows. I have a list of all the stuff I want. Like I'm like, yes, for this, I want this or this, or actually no, I want this instead. And for him, I mean, our anniversary was on September 30th and I'm pretty sure he wants a suit. But we haven't taken the steps to do that because he's not positive yet. And he's like, do I really need it? I don't know if I need it. You don't need to give me anything. And I'm like, but I but I want to. But part of it is he feels like it's his job to provide for his family, not for me to do that for him. And it comes mm -hmm. from like this really sweet place. But it's also like, wait, you do need to be taken care of sometimes. Let me do that because you can you can't run on empty. Right. And that goes back to my saying that if your bucket is empty or your bucket is too full you can't you can't pour into another bucket if your bucket is empty and you can't receive from another bucket if your bucket is full yeah yeah exactly well and our next episode is going to be really fantastic because our partners have agreed to come on the podcast and to talk about this topic from their perspective and it's going to include more examples on, you know, like difficulties and maybe our relationship and how it stemmed from not fully understanding emotions and communication difficulties. And I just want to preface that every single couple has challenges. Like every single one. Every single one. And if they say they don't, they may be actively lying to you or B, they aren't introspective enough or, or aware enough to realize the problems or there's zero communication happening, which is an even bigger problem. And normalizing the chaos is our goal, obviously, on this podcast. And we really want to normalize the chaos that is having relationships in a family and how it's not easy. It takes a lot of work and it, it also involves both parties understanding each other and where we're coming from and how to support each other when working towards growing. Right. And there's seasons in that growth, just like there's seasons in real life. You may go through a period of what seems like winter and everything is dead and doesn't seem like it's coming back to life. And then have a moment of spring where everything is full throttle, blossoming, blooming, it's going great. And so like Sarah said, just to reiterate, the whole purpose of this podcast is we are going to talk about the things that are quote unquote taboo, but also normalize the things that they really aren't taboo. It's normal and it's quote unquote normal because everyone's normal looks different. But, and this is, I, I just want to throw out there though, that there is a difference between healthy conflict and struggles and relationships and unhealthy. Right. And so we're, we're not saying if the situation is domestically violent, whether that's verbal, physical, psychological abuse, we're not talking about that, but we're talking about just the genuine struggles in relationships and particularly for next week and in this episode, just how men and women are wired differently to communicate emotions and the level of conflict that that can create in relationships. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And with that, we're going to wrap up today's episode here on the Chaos Podcast. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.